Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Uh, and tis the season to point out the Grinches, right? Uh, happy Thursday to you, and thank you for listening, whether it be on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Or wherever it is that you podcast, I appreciate you listening. Had lunch with a listener today, uh, so uh, it's always fun. Get this. Speaking of Grinches, this is uh, where I want to lead with the show today. <laughs> Get this. Uh, it's one thing for us to talk about the legitimacy of Governor Brian Kemp doling out tens of thousands of dollars per school for safety measures, which I, I understand. Like when, when you live in a state that is just a gun fetish state, you have to bolster immediately school security. And so he offered $45,000 per school to do that. It, it's, it's an, it's a bandaid. It's a temporary. And I say that it's a temporary solution for a permanent problem that doesn't need to be if we were to address gun policy better, but there's no putting that ketchup back in the bottle per se. So got to beef up school security. I understand that. Governor Brian Kemp also doled out $1,000 bonuses for state employees and school teachers throughout the state of Georgia's public school systems. So go figure that when he made that announcement earlier this week, Atlanta public school teachers had to be like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And let me explain why. See, Atlanta public school teachers already got a bonus when their mid-month pay came out. So they thought, oh my gosh, another check? This is amazing. And listen, is anyone going to quibble with school teachers getting a little more, even though their local school district may have already doled that money out? No, nobody's going to argue that, except the school district. Yeah, the school district's like, oh, that's cool. We'll use that money to backfill what we've already bonus teachers. And the Georgia State Superintendent, Richard Woods, is like, wait, what? How did you know who how how could you know that this was gonna happen to go ahead and dole it out already? You were the ones being so gracious and giving, and now you want to replenish your stock by the state being gracious and giving so that you then remediate your being gracious and giving? Let me let you listen to local TV station WNAF explain how this kind of doesn't play out so well for the APS teachers to get that second bonus. We do want to clear up some confusion about a story we've gotten a lot of viewer emails about. It is over bonuses for some Atlanta public school employees. Now, their teachers and bus drivers did get $1,000 bonus payments on their most recent paycheck okay. right before the governor's announcement yesterday that the state's teachers would get bonuses in that same amount. Now, teachers who reached out to us wanted to know if that meant another payment was coming. Unfortunately, it is not. APS anticipated the governor approving those bonus payments, same as he did last year, and wrote them into their yearly budget. They wanted to get them out early before the holiday season. Uh. So that's where that $1,000 comes from. They'll now use the governor's allocation that he announced yesterday to backfill those payments in their reserve fund. You can't do that. You can't anticipate a bonus. Oh, my God. They Clark Griswold this. Remember National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Clark 
had all these fancy ideas for what he was going to do with his holiday bonus check that wasn't coming. But he planned ahead for it and spent a little lavishly for the holiday decor. Remember the... You you mean to tell me the Atlanta public school system did that too? Mmm, bad call. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. And people are pissed, and, and rightfully so. WAGA-TV Fox 5's Eric Perry with the story. It was happy news for APS teacher Ebony Spivey Monday after hearing Governor Kemp was giving all educators in the state $1,000 bonuses. I was like, oh, we've been appreciated by the governor. Spivey, along with other APS teachers who reached out to Fox 5, say their excitement turned to confusion, then frustration when they got this message from district officials. I know you guys are aware of the governor's $1,000 bonus. However, you already received that four days ago. This memo sent out saying all eligible Atlanta Public Schools employees have already received the state reference employee retention supplement in the form of the mid-year holiday retention stipend. Spivey and others thought the initial $1,000 was a gift from APS. There was a um, approval meeting for a retention bonus for APS staff um, that was approved in July of 2023 of $1,000 that we would get in December. And educators thought the governor's bonus would be an added bonus. APS officials sent Fox 5 the statement saying, quote, given that Governor Kemp has provided bonuses for school employees the past few years, APS preemptively concluded the payment in its employees December 15th paychecks uh. so that they would have the funds prior to the holiday break. The district will reclassify the payments to eligible employees, restoring our fund balance for other education needs in the future. So the question on many people's minds is the question I asked the district. What would have happened if the governor, for whatever reason, did not get out the state bonuses this yes. year? An APS official with the district told me, quote, had he not approved the bonuses this year, our teachers would have still received the mid-year retention rate and bonus. And that right there is the intent. That is exactly why you can't, no take backs. You can't take it back. No. Oh, this is okay. Listen, poor communication or not, apparently APS budgeted for the bonuses and seemed to have been comfortable with the knowledge that they would have had to have eaten that cost if Governor Kemp hadn't doled out the bonus this year as he had done in the past. And listen, let's not be totally dismissive or derogatory or angry at APS for this. They were at least cognizant enough of the knowledge that the bonus would be nice before Christmas. The governor's bonus, I believe, comes at the end of the year, so it doesn't do a whole lot of folks good for the holidays to have extra holiday cash if the only holiday left that they have the cash for is New Year's or, or Groundhog Day. I, I, okay, cool. Kudos on doing that. But man, did they fumble the communication with this one. And... I kind of think they just need to eat it. I doubt they will, but you know, they uh, released a statement to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that read, In this instance, we preemptively move to show our appreciation to staff by asking our board to approve the usage of fund balance for all employees in early December so that we could get our payments out in advance of the holiday break. And kudos to that. Great for thinking that way. Back to the statement, we greatly appreciate the governor's willingness to use the state fund balance to share in the cost 
by providing stipends for our teachers. That's not sharing in the cost. That's in literally like taking care of the APS benevolence uh, to our teachers as this allows us to use our fund balance for other educational needs. Since we use district fund balance to secure the appreciation payments made to all eligible employees on the December 15th payroll, the state funding announced today will be used in support of other APS priorities. Now, State Superintendent Richard Wood sent a letter to Interim APS Superintendent Danielle Battle and said, Let me be very clear. The intent of the state's $1,000 retention pay supplement is not to backfill the Atlanta Public Schools budget or, quote, share in the cost of additional recognition already provided by districts to teachers. Yeah, he's saying what I'm saying. I'm saying what he's saying. Yeah. Since his letter came out before. Yeah, I'm definitely saying what he's saying. Just giving credit. You know what else we agree on? We agree that APS just needs to eat this cost. He closed the letter to the interim APS superintendent saying, the state is providing a $1,000 retention payment to teachers and support staff, and it is my expectation that they will receive it. Anything less is a disservice to the teachers and staff whose efforts in the classroom, far more than anything that takes place at the state or central office level, are the reason our students succeed. And basically, Governor Kemp's office, when asked, just pointed to State Superintendent Richard Wood's statements and letter to the interim superintendent and said what he said. Now, you're talking about about 4,000 teachers, I believe less than 400 bus drivers. You're talking about an expense of about, oh, this is ironic, about $45,000. I say it's ironic because, remember, each public school in the state of Georgia is to get a $45,000 state supplement for security. Interesting. Okay, we're now so early into the show, and I'm at this awkward point where I still have a few minutes left in this segment, and yet kind of need to move on to some other topics. There's some other things to cover. Uh, Rudy Giuliani filed for bankruptcy today. Uh, We'll touch on that a little bit. There's also a column in Politico written earlier today, this morning. In fact, it greeted me this morning. (laughs) I wouldn't say it was a friendly greeting, but it greeted me this morning from uh, Jack Schaefer, who surmised uh, that President Joe Biden, frustrated in the Oval Office, in the West Wing, that his poll numbers are as poor as they are, and he's trying to get answers from his staff as to why that is and what can be done to fix it. So Jim Schaefer wrote this opinion piece in Politico that I think is a pretty sobering message that maybe all along the problem isn't about policy and substance and how well or poorly President Biden depending on your opinion, has performed in his first presidential term. It may be that all along, from the jump, Joe Biden just wasn't a very popular politician and had nowhere to go but down. So I'm going to give you a a, a snippet uh, of that column. In fact, I reached out to him. I was hoping to have him on today. Did not hear back from him. He may have a flood of inquiries from, what, I don't know, Fox Business, Fox News, Fox Nation, One American News, I I mean, I don't know that he's on any of those. He may just not be getting emails, and maybe I'm landing in a spam folder. And after all, I'm just a humble little real estate agent who happens to do a political show from his condo in Atlanta, Georgia, on an online radio station before going to podcast. So I may not even rate. I'm not feeling bad for myself. I'm just saying that I I know the realities. I'm I'm a no BS kind of guy. 
And then we'll dive into some more predictable right-wing media nonsense and Trump reaction to Colorado and just how hypocritical the Republican Party is being about the court involving itself and uh, superseding the will of the voter, <clears throat> Gore 2000. Just have to make sure that those stones aren't left unturned. Oh, also, if you thought the state election board Trump 2020 MAGA nutbag stuff was over with, well, I have news for you. Uh, the FBI has been summoned by Georgia officials because of some emails that sound a little threatening. Oh, and oh, well, we forgot about this. The Colorado Supreme Court members who, of course, voted to remove him from the ballot, predictably, they're getting death threats. Their family is feeling threatened as well because these fine upstanding patriots and members of the law and order party just can't seem to law and order. When the Ron Show returns on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show. It is the 21st of December. And to those of you who have shopping or cooking or baking or decorating or Whatever, whatever it else it is that you have planned to do between now and Monday, it is of little significance to me. I literally had somebody drop me uh, a DM on uh, my Facebook like page, at Ron Show ATL, Facebook, uh, Twitter X, Instagram, where else? Oh, threads. I keep forgetting about threads. Have you done that too? Did you race out and start a threads account and then... It's like it's like when I buy a plant at the start of every spring, a, a nice flowery plant. I buy it; it looks pretty, and I forgot about it. <laughs> I'll wind up throwing it out this time of year. Uh, anyway, um, I literally got a DM from Facebook. Hey, Ron, um, love the show. Appreciate all you do. Blah 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 blah. Where's the holiday music? Where's the festive music coming in? We I call those bumps. You hear the the music bumps coming in and out. Uh, of segments, not always out, but sometimes out and in uh, of the segments. And I, I have not downloaded any holiday bump music, uh, nor will I be doing that at this point in time. Uh, I have literally this and one more show before uh, Monday or Christmas Day, as, as you folks call it. Um, understand it, it's not personal. It's not, um, it's not, uh, I'm not, I'm not you know, trotting out my happy holidays cups like Starbucks might or anything like that. I just, uh, like, I don't even have holiday decorations up in the house. I have two cards that I got in the mail today sitting up uh, in the uh, in the kitchen there uh, above the fridge, hanging up there. Uh, and I put a wreath out on the door, one of those, you know, wooden wreathy things. It's just like, an it, 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 it's good for every year. I don't do a whole lot of decorating for Christmas. Um, have to understand. Um, my mother passed away nearly 13 years ago. Uh, both of my grandmothers have passed since. Uh, there's not much family gathering to do anymore. I got divorced two years ago. Not my choice. Uh, so we don't do things. I don't do things with the in-laws anymore. I just, you can get that somewhere else though, right? Just understand that that's why when you come to this show, you're like, huh, I don't hear any fa-la-la from that family. Fellala. Um, you know what? If it makes you feel any better, on Monday when you listen to the show, I'm going to 
have some royalty-free holiday music. So, boom, there you go. Happy holidays. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you and yours. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and Monday off as well. Um, so that's that's that with that. Not that I'm, uh, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge or the Grinch or any of that business. I'm just explaining to you why uh, this is not going to be where you come to get your um, holiday feel good. And not not that I'm being negative. I hope you have a fantastic holidays, uh, Christmas, et cetera, and so on. I just <clears throat> can we just get on to Rudy Giuliani uh, uh, filing for bankruptcy? Yeah, Rudy Giuliani uh, has a hundred and forty million dollar tab to pay, and Rudy Giuliani just said. <sighs> I don't have the money for this. He filed for bankruptcy after being ordered to pay $148 million in a defamation case. From the Associated Press, in his filing Thursday, the former New York City mayor listed nearly $153 million in existing or potential debts. Huh. Huh. Including close to a million dollars in tax liabilities, money he owes his lawyers, and money millions, I'm sorry, many millions of dollars in potential legal judgments in lawsuits against him. He estimated his assets to be between one and $10 million. First of all, how do you not narrow that down? You got to know you've got somewhere between one and one and a half million or eight and 10 million, but not one and $10 million. Uh, Back to the AP story. The biggest debt is the $148 million he was ordered to pay a week ago for making false statements about the election workers in Georgia stemming from the 2020 presidential election. Oh, the article goes on to say, though, but declaring bankruptcy likely will not erase the $148 million in damages a jury awarded to the former Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and Wandrea Shea Moss. Bankruptcy law does not allow for the dissolution of debts that come from a willful and malicious injury inflicted on someone else. In essence, what you're hearing here is Rudy broke. Uh, this lawsuit, this judgment, and you know he's appealing it. I don't know how he's paying his lawyers, but he's appealing it. Uh, is his way of trying to get out from underneath the vast abundance of his debts. If he loses that appeal, then whatever he owns that can or will be sold off, liquid assets, yada, 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 it's probably, for the most part, going to have to go to Ruby and Shea first before the debtors. Because they own the abundance of his debt. See, one of the reasons Donald Trump has to go through attorneys like you or I go through, I don't know, bags of bread loaf is because he's so bad about paying his attorneys that the attorneys finally get wise, especially when the losses keep mounting up and there's no no reimbursement coming in from uh, those who have wronged Donald Trump, uh, that they, they finally just go, well, look, we're never getting paid for this. And the PR is not all that great. It's not like, I mean, can you name a Trump attorney? So yeah, they, they wind up bailing on him. Rudy Giuliani's going to have a similar problem, especially if he loses this appeal on this latest decision. And by the way, they filed another defamation suit because he won't shut his f- mouth. Um, anyway, if, if he loses this appeal, good luck getting an attorney because they're going to have to stand now in a pretty long line of folks he owes money to. By the way, one of those is a shady venture that he himself owns that he owes money to. Ooh, that's shady. And did I not see something about him owing Hunter Biden some money? Did I? I could have sworn I saw that on Twitter X or something like that. I'll, I'll track it down and see if I can't find it for you. Uh, but Ruby and Shay... They're at the front of the line. And if he only has 
total assets, total net worth of between one and ten million dollars. I mean, it's it's a figurative drop in the bucket comparable to what those ladies are owed. <laughs> the other thing is, Rudy Giuliani doesn't have the uh, Midas touch that uh, Mango Man does, where Rudy can't chop up his suit. <laughs> from what what name it name it whatever name. i mean what what does he have does he have uh maybe uh the suit he was wearing on 911 that surely that's in a museum somewhere by now right he i mean what does he have to sell that he can pawn off to uh maga nutbags for their hard earned money to help recuperate his costs by doling out memorabilia now where he gets his income from uh he he does a daily radio show on his hometown on the station owned by a uh regional Republican grocery store magnet. He does a nightly streaming show called America's Mayor Live. I'm not sure that makes any money for him or not, but if you enjoy either of those, he's probably going to stop doing both because they generate income and income's going to the ladies. Back after this. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, polling, polling, polling. Let's do some polling here. Um, More than half of Americans, this from The Hill, more than half of Americans polled approve of the Colorado Supreme Court ruling to bar Donald Trump from the state's ballot. 54%, more than half, approve of a Colorado Supreme Court's ruling to bar former President Donald Trump from the state's primary ballot. Come on, that's a primary ballot, not the general election ballot. Anyway, the online survey published just a day after the ruling found that 54% of respondents either strongly or somewhat approve of the decision, with 35% disapproving. From the Hill, the former president now has the opportunity to seek review of the case from the U.S. Supreme Court, where the justices can ultimately decide whether Trump incited the January 6th Capitol riots and whether arguments under the 14th Amendment can keep him off the ballot. Nearly two-thirds of Democrats, 63%, strongly approve of the ruling, according to the poll. Another 21% somewhat approve. Independents were split, but a larger proportion support the decision, 48% to 35%. About a quarter of Republicans said they support the ruling. What is it with that party, man? Uh, With 12% strongly supporting it. The ruling has received partisan support, and criticism. Democrats lauding it as upholding democracy while Republicans warn it could spell chaos for electoral politics. We've heard a lot of this over the last few days. How dare unelected judges, except in Colorado, you are appointed to the state Supreme Court for two years and then have to run for re-election. So four of them actually had been re-elected by voters. Never mind the whole like Gore 2020 thing where literally vote counting ceased by court order, so that our winner, not Al Gore, would be declared. Zero from Republicans about that. I remember 2000, I was pretty pissed. A lot of us were pretty pissed. We were also kind of shocked. <laughs> like, uh, it was one of those first times where polling was like, wait, what? And of course, the Electoral College wasn't taken into consideration. And Florida back then was uh, somewhat reliably purplish blue stuff. I think that's when it stepped into swing statism. Uh, but what we didn't do is we didn't storm the Capitol. Uh, we, there were, you know, protests here and there, but they were all peaceful. I don't think anyone threw a chair through a door, window door, or anything like that. Um, 
But oh, and and on this note, like flash forward to today, 2023, and the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. <laughs> Laura Ingram. Now, at this point, given what we're seeing in the courts, at the DOJ, and even in state AG offices, and given Democrats' Trump is Hitler rhetoric, is it not logical, at least to consider, maybe even to assume, that some on the left are hoping to spark some type of civil unrest here, hmm. which would be followed, of course, by a mass crackdown on civil liberties or the declaration of maybe a nationwide emergency? all as a way, a protectual way, to usher in, I don't know, nationwide mail-in voting. Oh, no, not nationwide mail-in voting. Oh, the horrors. Well, here's an idea. If you don't want to see that chain of events happening, I, I think the first link in the chain of events is maybe not going into a tirade of violent insurrectious activity. Just a thought. Kellyanne Conway days ago adding. And when you look at what I just think the Democrats wake up every morning, Emily, and they look at the calendar. The iPhone says January 6, 2021. The date never changes. And then they get an electric vehicle and go get an abortion. I just described the Democratic Party <laughs> oh to you God. in seven seconds. Wow. Um, I don't even own an electric car and I, I don't think I've ever had an abortion. Well, I'm just not an upstanding Democrat, I guess. What? Fox News, Jesse Waters adding. It feels like the left wants violence because that's where this is going. We're being baited so their actions are justified. That's how it feels. The more the left overplays their hand, the scarier this gets. This is the same uh, batch of commentators, by the way, that just kvetch. They, they sit there and scratch their heads wondering, why is it that the people of color get so upset and protest and take to the streets and get angry and lob rocks at police in riot gear who are pummeling them with tears? Why do they do that? <laughs> hey, Jesse, are uh, Black Lives Matter protesters being baited or not? See, you, 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 don't, you don't want it both ways, do you? Yeah, I didn't think so. There's a lot of fomenting going on there. A lot of fomenting. All right, so I, I want to turn the page now to, we, so we're going to talk about polling here. And President Joe Biden has been hand-wringing and trying to get his staff to help him understand why his poll numbers are as poor as they are, despite the successes that he's had, that his administration has had in the first three-ish years uh, in office. And we've made we've made this case many times on the show. There's no point going over it again. And I think... Most of the audience would fully just sit there and nod their head as I list the accomplishments and even sort of, uh, you know, take apart some of the, uh, the, the points folks would quibble about. Honestly, the, 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 the most uh, treadworthy path to make uh, complaints about the Biden administration come from the left and not the right. There are legitimate and I think valid, concerns about the way the U.S. has handled the Israel-Gaza situation. Although, in my heart of hearts, I believe President Biden is trying to play both sides and winning over neither. But that being said, the president's trying to figure out why his poll numbers are bad. And a column in today's Politico, Politico.com. I'm sorry, this came yesterday afternoon, and I just got to it this morning. Uh, Jack Schaefer wrote this. 
I'm going to give you bits and pieces of it. I'll scan through some of it. Uh, more flustered than Elmer Fudd in the closing seconds of a Looney Tunes episode, President Joe Biden summoned his inner circle late last month to explain why his poll numbers were so dismal and to ask them what they were doing to boost them. The scene captured by Washington Post Tyler Pager and printed as the lead story in the paper's Monday edition. The headline there, Biden upset by his low polling on December 18th. Has Biden belly aching? that his economic successes have failed to move the dial and notes that the president has been complaining about this for some time. Before I go giving you any more of this column, you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff that I've talked about before that are going to be and are and will not go away issues for President Joe Biden and his re-election bid. Back to the article, the great ignominy of Biden's sagging popularity, writes Prager, is that his approval rating has tied his all-time low at 38%, pushing him into those regions of unfavor populated with telemarketers, healthcare managers, and journalists. Wow, that hurts. Journalists? And as if that isn't sufficiently debilitating, Biden laments that even the scoundrel Donald Trump is polling, is polling stronger. In asking to be better loved, Biden is not alone. Every politician, Jack Schaefer writes, thinks he should be hailed by the people. In asking his people to make it so, Biden resembles the standard politician. What Biden overlooks, as does much of the press writing about Biden's unpopularity, is that he was never a wildly popular figure nationally. So why should he be now? His instruction that that staff find a way to secure himself a place in the public's heart is probably as doable at this point as unscrambling an egg. The signs of Biden's inherent unpopularity were present from the beginning of his presidency. Just two weeks into Biden's term, Jack Schaefer writes, the New York Times was noting that while he had broad positive, positive approval rating, he didn't come close to that of Barack Obama on Inauguration Day, and his net approval rating was lower than any of his predecessors except you-know-who. Biden remained popular for the first six months of his presidency, the honeymoon presidents get, but then began the slide that now places him at 38% favorable in an average of 17 polls calculated by the Washington Post. By September 2021, as the Biden dip became palpable, the press assembled to make excuses for him. In the New York Times, columnist Janelle Bowie provided what he called a laundry list of reasons for the anti-Biden mood. The COVID pandemic backlash over the Afghanistan withdrawal and growing polarization. A month later, the Associated Press attributed the dip to a slew of challenges Biden had faced, including COVID at Afghanistan, legislative drama over his economic policy, and troubles at the border. And let me just come off the column here a little bit. None of that stuff isn't valid. Those are issues that any president has to deal with. And he was in a no-win scenario in a lot of them anyway. Back to the column. A month after that, USA Today endorsed the AP's explanation. The trouble was in the stars, not necessarily with Joe Biden. The press largely surmised. It speaks later about inflation coming in. Uh, now that inflation is down, that plea no longer works. By last summer, the commentariat was grasping at straws. In July, New York Magazine's Eric Levitz pronounced Biden's unpopularity as mysterious and speculated that his problem might be that while he, quote, has delivered material improvements to voters, he had failed to address the nation's, quote, widespread sense of despair. I will, by the way, share this column from Jack Schaefer in Politico in today's show notes at ronchoytl.com. Could it be, Jack writes, that it's not policy or circumstances that voters are rejecting, but that it's Biden? 
The tough truth for Biden, one that the press seems to have avoided, he's not wrong, is that he has always been unpopular. I disagree to an extent because I don't think he was really unpopular during the Obama presidency. Remember, he was kind of the joke. He was the meme. He was the meme guy. There were all the the silly things Joe said and the big deal hot mic stuff. And, oh, that's just Joe. That's just silly Joe. Like, I don't think he was unpopular then. He just wasn't the guy. Like Obama was the guy. And even Obama, in a hyper-partisan era, dealt with middling poll numbers by the time his presidency ended, right? Uh, back to the column. Although he has long been in the public eye, he served uh, as a U.S. senator for 36 years before becoming vice president, being the toast of Delaware, which is the second smallest state and sixth least populous. Doesn't really convert into national acclaim. His 1988 campaign for president ended abruptly as he dropped out of the race after three months amid a plagiarism scandal. Then in the 2008 presidential campaign, he found such low favor among voters that he placed fifth in the Iowa caucuses and exited. In the 2020 contest, running in a crowded primary field, we remember this, right? Biden rarely broke the 30% mark. Biden won the nomination not because he was popular, but because he was running as a centrist in a field clogged with progressives. I might also point out the COVID pandemic sort of shortened the primary uh, situation from the stump. Um, He also had the good political fortune to emerge as the last moderate candidate standing against socialist Senator Bernie Sanders. Establishment Democrats didn't love Joe as much as they disliked Sanders and wanted a candidate around whom they could coalesce. And let's also point this out. This election cycle, if you want to add 2020 in with 2016, is now the third presidential cycle in a row where Democrats and independents are being tasked, not asked, but tasked with voting for a candidate, they're not all that crazy about. This will be the third election in a row. The sane wing of American politics is being asked, I'm sorry, tasked with voting to keep a madman out of office. I've also said, and listen, this isn't me beating on Joe Biden. Uh, Again, I, I can sit here and cite many of the things that have worked out very well under his guidance these last three years. Look at the economy. Recession. From almost the day his hand hit the Bible. Fears of recession. We are, I haven't been in airplanes that landed as softly as this soft landing is shaping up to be. We're expecting to see interest rates dip next year. And That'll juice the housing market, right? We're expecting, we we just came off of near 5% GDP growth for the third quarter. I mean, all things being, and, and again, Ukraine's not his fault. He's doing all he can. He has brought our allies back together, by the way, to aid Ukraine, to keep Putin at bay, despite having Putin's puppets inside the GOP. Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example trying to circumvent any progress there, literally sabotaging from within. The Israel-Gaza thing is a no-win situation for him. It just is. And it's going to chip away at his popular. You think 38% is bad? It's it's not going to get better. But that's that's kind of the point all along. I I have said almost from the, 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 the moment I launched this show, 
the best thing for Democrats and Joe Biden and America is exactly what Jim Schaefer says should happen in the last paragraph of this column, which I will again share in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. No amount of repackaging Biden's first-term accomplishments will boost him to the top of the charts. In September, the New York Times reported that the White House plans to polish Biden's image by showcasing, quote, his vigor. Good luck with that, Jim Schaefer right? Jack Schaefer writes. I keep saying Jim. None of this is to suggest that Biden can't possibly beat Trump in 2024. He's done it before, after all. As the Atlantic's Ron Brownstein wrote last spring, Biden's unpopularity might not matter as long as voters hate the other guy enough. But if he's looking for a guaranteed way to move his numbers up, he should do what President Lyndon Johnson did in 1968. Johnson dropped out of the presidential contest, and by the time he exited the White House, he was close to regaining a 50% approval rating. Want to be liked? Try doing something likable. Longtime listeners of this show know that that is something I have been saying for quite a while. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Okay, final segment of the Ron Show for Thursday. Uh, Greg Bluestein at the AJC dropped this uh, about an hour and a half or so ago. Georgia officials have asked the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, y'all, to investigate a series of emails a Texas activist sent members of the state election board demanding an investigation into Georgia's 2020 election, according to three people familiar with the situation. The emails, which were obtained by the AJC, were sent by Kevin Monkla, to the members of the State Elections Board and uh, an aide to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. I'm going to guess that that's probably Gabriel Sterling. Uh, Moncla and Joe Rossi, the Houston County resident. Great tan, great hair. He really does. He's got, like, how does he look like? Anyway, recently filed a complaint that claims errors in Fulton County's recount of the 2020 presidential election. The State Election Board delayed taking action on the case Tuesday, angering supporters of former President Donald Trump, who crowded the hearing. Not Trump, the the supporters. It's one of a string of unsubstantiated complaints, Greg Bluestein writes, filed by election conspiracists since Democrat Joe Biden defeated Trump by about 12,000 votes in Georgia's 2020 election. Uh, Three vote counts confirmed Biden's victory and multiple investigations have debunked allegations of fraud. And uh, Matt Mashburn, the acting chairman of the election board, declined to comment, as did an FBI spokesman. Moncla couldn't immediately be reached for comment. Here you go, though. Here's a little tidbit of what has uh, Georgia elections officials reaching out to the FBI. In a September 21st email, Moncla accuses Mashburn and other state officials of ignoring and avoiding his complaints. Mr. Mashburn, listen well. There will be no more excuses. I'm putting you on notice that I will be holding you accountable, Moncla wrote. There are 19 people whose lives hang in the balance because they knew Georgia's 2020 general election and Senate runoff results were wrong. Those people were right. You can either properly investigate our complaints and verify the facts, or I will show you publicly in the media. Moncla followed up with an email to the State Elections Board uh, Wednesday after their Tuesday hearing demanding an update on his complaint. Of course, that email came the day after they voted against opening an investigation. It was a 2-2 vote uh, to investigate Brad Raffensperger for his oversight of the Fulton County audit in the 2020 election. Here's the follow-up email. You may think that the dog and pony show yesterday concluded the matter. If so, you are sadly mistaken. 
This is Kevin Monkler writing again. I urge you to contemplate and reconsider your responsibilities and position. For you are attorneys. I imagine that some of you would like to continue to be. Oh. He also said, we can address these matters privately or publicly, but make no mistake, they will be addressed. Yeah, hi, FBI. Let's pivot. Ryan J. Riley at NBC News reporting uh, last night and the 24 hours since the Colorado Supreme Court kicked former President Donald Trump off the state's Republican primary ballot. Social media outlets have been flooded with threats against the justices who ruled in the case, according to a report obtained by NBC News. Advanced Democracy, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that conducts public interest research, identified, quote, significant violent rhetoric against the justices and Democrats often in direct response to Trump's posts about the ruling on his platform, Truth Social. They found that some social media users posted justices' email addresses, phone numbers, and office building addresses. Hey, hey, Cobb County uh, School District, y'all, that's doxing. This ends when we kill these f***ers, a user wrote on a pro-Trump forum that was used by several January 6 rioters. What do you call seven justices from the Colorado Supreme Court at the bottom of the ocean, asked another user. A good start. It's not very original. Uh, posts whose images and links were included in the report noted a variety of methods that could be used to kill those perceived as Trump's enemies. Hollow point bullets, rifles, rope, bombs. Kill judges, behead judges, roundhouse kick a judge into the concrete. According to a post on a fringe website, slam dunk a judge's baby into the trash can. These are the pro-life people? NBC News continues, the threats fit into a predictable, yes they do, and familiar pattern. Seen time and time again, yes they have, after legal developments against Trump. After the FBI searched Trump's Mar-a-Lago home in Florida, a man who had been at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, attacked the FBI field office in Cincinnati with a nail gun while holding an AR-15-style rifle. When a grand jury in Georgia indicted Trump, some of his supporters posted the grand juror's addresses online. Hey, Cobb, boy, yeah, yeah, that's doxing. When a U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin was assigned to special counsel Jack Smith's federal election interference case against Trump, she faced threats from Trump supporters. A federal appeals court pointed out that pattern when it upheld a narrowed gag order against Trump in his election interference case this month, noting that those he publicly targets are often threatened and harassed. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. It's unfortunate she didn't get to point out the whiny man babies and crybabies who can't stand when Donald Trump doesn't always 100% get his way. Wouldn't you just like to be that quantum leap character who could go back in time at that point in time and somehow make it painfully aware what's going to happen if an additional 78,000 people across a few states, a few key swing states, don't show up to vote even though they're not highly enthused about either candidate, right? And we're all just sitting here collectively licking our wounds after that last segment where I go over a political article that talks about why Joe Biden's poll numbers are where they are because he was never all that popular to begin with. 
Well, that that tracks. Let me say this too. I've said this before. Either side, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats, either side that chooses someone other than the presumed front runner, to me, is the party that wins the 2024 presidential election. And if neither does, this rematch excites no one, and it's quite plausible we're going to get the result we got in 2016. And the sad truth is, even if we got the same result we got in 2020, nobody's going to come away from that invigorated. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Show notes and more, ronshowatl.com. Thank you for listening. See you here again.